coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen. Happy New Year. Uh, we're going to talk about what we're looking forward to in 2021 and what we've been watching throughout the holidays. And for our film this week, it's Peter Chan's Leap. East Screen, West Screen. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, still sitting in lockdown in seasonal South Florida. And coming to us from his very own volleyball court is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey there, Paul. Unfortunately, I am not joined by a team of uh, female volleyball players. Oh, so sad, so sad. <laughs> Happy New Year, you sir. Would, How are you? You would have to social distance anyway, so you know. I guess it's all, it's still all good. No, no, they'll be in my bubble. It's okay. <laughs> the volleyball <laughs> bubble, sure. right? That's right. Volleyball player, female volleyball player bubble. That's why I, I would create. Anyway. Yeah, so it's a new year. How are you doing, sir? Um, we haven't spoken since the end of December, um, but we are here in 2021, and it's a new year with a new administration in the United States. We had some crazy things happen for a while, but uh, things seem to be slowly smoothing out a little bit. So um, how are things in your neck of the woods, and how have you been? Well, I still haven't been to a, a theater since the uh i think the what december 2nd so we're still kind of in a virtual not really a lockdown but we have a lot of uh social distancing measures still in effect um supposedly more than two people can't gather even though i have gathered with other people um restaurants are closed at six for dine-ins so yeah so yeah it's still same old you know we're yeah. still kind of in this pandemic world and i guess right if you now. follow hong kong news at all i mean the the big news is they actually like cordoned off a, a few blocks down there in, in um, which, which district? Not Shum Shui Po, was it? Or where was it? There was an, uh, I think, mandatory uh, testing order for a couple of blocks in Shum Shui Po. They blocked off a couple of blocks in Yomate and uh, Jordan and North Point. Uh, I think this one real estate um, or this one um, estate. In North Point, and just now, just before we started recording, they shut off, uh, they cordoned off two buildings in Lam Tin in this one big sort of middle class estate. Mm-hmm. So they're doing these sort of sudden raids, which I, I don't think is particularly different from a, a, a mandatory uh, testing um, uh, deal. But whatever, I mean, you know, it's the Hong Kong government, you know what they do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I the one thing that's a bit surprising is kind of the optics on this, on, on how. The news media has talked about it and just reported it visually. It's very reminiscent of of SARS in some ways when they had, you know, certain particular estate buildings really just locked down and people could not come in and out and they had to go through checkpoints and things like that. So um, visually, it's it's a bit, you know, intimidating, I might say, but uh, we do hope that everybody is able to do what they need to do, uh, do their due diligence and stay safe and uh, 
you know, over here in the States, of course, they've got vaccine rollouts going on. I've had um, my relatives in North Carolina have had their first inoculations out of a series of two. In Florida, things a little bit different, uh, especially here in Palm Beach County, which is uh, has a very large senior population and nowhere near enough vaccinations. And we've been trying to get my dad uh, his appointment, but it's a massive system that is not working very well. <laughs> you know, go <laughs> figure in uh, 2021. This We live in a wondrous age of technology and um, they've just got this kind of wonky queue system that um, it's basically like winning the lottery if you can get in and get yours. But hopefully um, he will get his. And I think the news I read as of yesterday from Dr. Fauci was saying that, you know, they expect by the end of summer that they'll have vaccines ready for kids as well. So we just keep holding out, you know, hopefully we'll uh, get there sooner rather than later and things will uh, smooth themselves out. But we are not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about movies and stuff. So uh, let's take a short little musical interlude break and we'll come back with some news. All right. So, Kevin, uh, it's 2021 and we are here. Um, I mean, no big movie news per se that uh, uh, really crossed my desk when I talked to you. We were planning for the show. I was kind of surprised because I, I would have thought that um, they would have done some kind of releases for some of the big stuff that was supposed to come in December, like Andy Lau's Shockwave 2 and some of the other things that have been had been planned. But um, that's all on hiatus, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, Hong Kong cinemas still aren't open, so there's a big backlog of releases. So we still haven't gotten Shockwave 2 yet. Um, the uh, Andy Lau choir movie, uh, Find Your Voice, which actually had played for about a week before cinemas uh, closed down. Now it's coming to to video this week. Uh, I watched it on, on Yuku, the Chinese uh, streaming website, because I have, a, I have a VIP subscription there. So I just watched it on there. Um, also caught in time, this Daniel Wu, um, ca- not Caper, but this Cops and Robbers film that's from China, directed by the director of uh, Two Thumbs Up, uh, Love Ho Learn. It's already on Yuku as well. And if you're a VIP member, you can watch that. I think it has English subtitles. Find Your Voice definitely has English subtitles and it's in Cantonese as well. So I just watched it there. And it's one of the worst movies of the year. Yay. But uh, yeah, so, so, so yeah, I mean, cinema's still closed and we all just sort of playing it by ear. Uh, I guess I have some theater news, uh, if that's really for local interest only. Um, Jim Sa Chui, uh, this huge district, of course, in, in Hong Kong, if you've been here, you know where Jim Sa Chui is, is by the harbor. Um, about a year and a half ago, a new cinema opened in this new mall called K11 Museum, which replaces the old uh, New World Center. Uh, for Hong Kong cinema fans, the New World Center uh, apartments back in the 80s used to house... Um, it's where big stars from so Bridget Lin used to come to Hong Kong to make movies and when she came to Hong Kong she would live in New World Center, the apartments. Like that's where celebrities when they come from Taiwan or something and they here to work in Hong Kong, that's sort of their place to live. So that building got demolished and it got replaced by this new mall called K eleven Museum. The UA Cinemas built a cinema in there. That's their flagship cinema. It's eleven screens, I think, plus a IMAX theater. It was supposed to be a huge deal. Uh, I don't know if you have you had you had a chance to go there, Paul, on your last return. Was it I open? Don't, no, I didn't get to, get to go in. 
Okay, well, it's a fancy new cinema, right? But just last week, and there's only about a year and a half of operation, UA Cinemas announced that they have already sold the cinema to another chain, to MCL, um, which is owned by the same corporation that owns Media Asia. Uh, MCL is um, one of the bigger chains. It's also owned by Intercontinental, uh, which is a pretty huge distributor here. So um, it's kind of weird that UA Cinema just sell off their flagship theater in just about a year and a half of operation. Granted, about four months of those were affected by pandemic. Um, so it wasn't, it was a very expensive uh, development or property. And then it was sort of sold off. And now MCL is going to take that theater. And then Broadway Cinema, which is the biggest chain in Hong Kong, um, it's also giving up their uh, cinema in the one, the one mall, which is also in TST. They're also selling, they're also giving that up to MCL. So it's interesting how this one theater chain is going to get two cinemas in one of Hong Kong's biggest commercial districts um, in the course of about the next year. And this is during... um, the pandemic, when the cinemas have been closed for two months, they had no business whatsoever. The MCL is going to pour all this money to buy other cinemas. So um, I guess that's about the biggest 2021 Hong Kong film news so far. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting. I It's it's a, a shame to see less competition, I guess, in you know physical cinema space. But uh, hey, we've already lost the dynasty, so what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I, kind of as a side related to note, I don't know how much of this news you guys have, have gotten over there, but, um, you know, along with the uh, GameStop uh, stock issues that have been going on with through Reddit and everything that's happened in the last week, and I won't get too much into the weeds for those uh, folks who aren't, who don't follow, you know, the stock market at all. Um, but one of the carry-alongs that got sort of caught up in this frenzied, um, what they call retail investors, that's like instead of the, the big hedge funds that are all based in Wall Street in New York, um, you have these you know private individuals um, who buy and sell stocks through um, new private, a lot of times they're just you know apps or online banks, and the big one at the forefront of the news right now is is this one called Robinhood, but there are there are lots of others that you can do, and they're they're big draws that you can buy and sell stocks with zero fees nowadays. Whereas, you know, back in the early days of things like Ameritrade and stuff, it was like you know five bucks a trade or a, a buck a trade or something, um, you know, which can add up if you do a lot of day trading, but not if you do long term trading. Anyway, the long and the short of it is a bunch of investors on a Reddit forum decided to get together and and stick it to the man because um, the man, that is the Wall Street hedge funds, were short selling um, the, 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 the this company called uh, GameStop, which is a brick and mortar company that I've been to many times over the years. It sells video games, among other sort of pop culture paraphernalia. And I mean, it, their stock shouldn't be very high at all because it's you know it's like investing in a in a bookstore chain today in the age of amazon right um or blockbuster yeah exactly i mean and and so um so the, this kind of back and forth battle um, with the hedge funds and the the private investors has been going on and, and really shooting the stock way 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 up um like 500 percent or something like that crazy numbers anyway one of the other 
stocks that's gotten caught up in that is AMC, um, you know, which which was another one that the short sellers were trying to shorten. Uh, the retail investors got and said, no, you don't. And so AMC has been carried along along with, I think, Best Buy is another one that's that's caught up in this, um, which is interesting, you know, because now they were saying like, oh, AMC is saved <laughs> suddenly because, <laughs> you know, they've got the money um, from their stock shooting up to be able to hold out, which I don't think was really a problem because I think when, when you think of U.S. Uh, cinema chains, AMC still has a lot. I mean, their major stakeholder, I believe, is still wanda group um you know the big uh, sort of chinese conglomerate so i think they would have been okay regardless but i mean it's interesting to see that you know that, that a cinema chain has suddenly gotten saved by uh, u.s retail investors trying to again stick it to the man um we'll see if anything really happens once we get out of the pandemic if they're able to uh make any hay out of that uh you know that big windfall they've had this past week did that make news over there with you guys, Kevin? Yes, yes. I'm not sure what the position of people here is, but you know, and you know, Hong Kong is a crazy, crazy city about when it comes to stock trading. You know, a, a lot of even did the housewives get into, or actually, housewives are kind of the main demographic of of small time traders in Hong Kong. Um, so it's a it's it's kind of a crazy story, I think. But I'm not sure what people here think about it. They they sort of they're sort of watching it as a as a sideshow kind of thing. Kind of it's definitely a sideshow for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you didn't get, get in on any of that game stuff? No, game that stuff. is, I mean, I, I followed it for about a week and a half. And, um, you know, I, I checked over on the Reddit forum to look at some of the postings. And, but that's, it's not, it's not a strategy that, that I would pursue or that I would advise people pursuing. I know a couple of people who actually uh, made some money uh, off of that and, and good for them. Um, but uh it's a zero-sum game, and uh, there are going to be winners and there are going to be losers. And at some point, when that bubble pops, just like it did back in the, you know, the late '90s, um, somebody's going to be left holding the bag. And you know, my luck would be I'm that guy, <laughs> and I don't want to be that guy. I mean, it's it's uh, to to put it more into perspective again for people who don't deal with that. It's 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 like going to a casino. Um, you know, you can go if if you've got five hundred dollars that you want to go to Macau, you want to go to Vegas and have fun. That's great, you know. And you say to yourself, "Okay, I've got this money. I'm going to play some games. And if I win, great. But if I lose it all and I go home five hundred dollars, you know, less in my pocket, I'm okay with that. If you can right. take that kind of approach to it, and you want to, you know, you know, you want to play and you want to risk some stuff." that's great. And I have friends who've done that and, and they've done well. But then if you're looking at it from the perspective of, well, this is money that is important. I don't want to lose it. I want to, you know, think about long-term stuff. It's just not something to, to get involved with. So, um, it, you know, that's, that's the way I, I kind of see it. I, I'm very conservative when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, but the, I know people who love to day trade and, you know, more power to them. Uh, I wish them the best. Anyway, when did this become the stock podcast? I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait till we get into Bitcoin. Okay, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, let's get back into some movies. It is 2021. But, uh, Kevin, you have not been able to get out to the cinema. I have not been able to get out to the cinema. But there's been a plethora of things to watch on, uh, you know, lots of different channels, lots of different streams. So, I mean, I guess we can go through a little bit of what we've been watching since the holidays. 
And I know that um, probably this is not something that I should admit, admit to, but I got sucked into some reality TV uh, oh. once again uh, with these uh, two new shows, um, one being from Netflix and the other being from uh, HBO Max. And they're very, very similar in that they are these shows that focus on basically crazy rich Asians, um, for, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And they're both produced roughly around the same time, I want to say, um, in the 2019 period. The first one is called Bling Empire. That's bling, you know, like I've got some bling, B-L-I-N-G. And it follows uh, about half a dozen individuals who reside in on the West Coast and who are among the wealthiest uh, Asian Americans, um, basically in, in the United States. And at least those who are very conspicuous about their wealth. I mean, I saw some people commenting that, you know, the people who are truly, truly wealthy, they don't show it, they hide it. <laughs> so that we, we may never know who those people are. But these people, um, they really flaunt their wealth, they wear their wealth, they, um, you know, they, they rent out entire museums for birthday parties, uh, this, this kind of thing. So the, these are the people they follow on um, Bling Empire. And some interesting personalities, to be sure. Um, there's uh, one individual named Kane who comes from Singapore, and um, you know his his parents were wealthy um, through various enterprises over there. But he also was able to find some success. And uh, then I guess the sort of the center of that of, of this whole group is this model named Kevin, who is is played down as not being wealthy, um, but you know, if you dig below the surface on any on any of these reality shows, you, you get more details. I mean, um, even though they kind of play him as sort of the audience lens, the audience filter that you're supposed to associate with in this crazy rich world, um, he in fact is he, he has some money too, so <laughs> he's doing better than most of us. Um, and and yeah, it's 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 again kind of building on that whole idea of, of sort of the crazy rich Asians and the fallout from the, the, the novels and the, and the film. And uh, it's very American, I would say. I mean, as somebody who's watched, you know, Terrace House and Singapore Social, I mean, one of my comments was that uh, this show makes the people who are wealthy on Singapore Social look like they're actually on Terrace House. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it goes to those those extremes there are fights there are arguments um there's language at times um and i mean if you're somebody who's involved in the west coast you probably know who some of these these people are i think there's one personality called kim lee she bounces around asia she's a pretty famous dj so you know some people may know of who she is if not some of the some of the other members on this show uh, the other show is called The House of Ho, which follows uh, the Ho family in Texas. Um, and uh, they're a very interesting family um, who are uh, Vietnamese Americans for the most part. And uh, the, the sort of the senior patriarch of the family um, emigrated from Vietnam early on, brought his wife, and then um, was able to basically build himself up from nothing through real estate and banking ventures and get considerable wealth. And now he has a, a generation of uh, three kids and they have kids. And so it 
kind of follows them around. I kind of like that show a little bit better because the displays of wealth are not as not quite as ostentatious as they are on Bling Empire. And it's a little bit more family-centered at times. Uh, more than anything else, it's more about sort of the dynamics of, of the family. And uh, they do get a little bit into sort of the cultural side of it. I think, you know, in, in both shows, there's a there's a Chinese New Year episode. Um, so like I said, I think they were kind of, you know, filming these in parallel. So, uh, and they're both very short. I think, you know, they're around, you know, six to nine episodes. I think um, House of Ho is only like seven episodes or Bling Empire may, might be nine episodes. So they're they're pretty easy to marathon if, if um, that's the kind of thing. But again, it's, I mean, unlike, unlike Terrace House, the, these shows um, are not constructed to be quieter um in that fact they they get very loud at times and <laughs> and uh, they they focus on the extreme which is something that i think you know these american reality shows like to do so if that's your thing uh, those are those are a couple things that uh, you can check out um, um and that's kind of what we've been watching me and my wife and we got kind of sucked into them and um haven't been seeing too many movies of late. There's some stuff coming down the pipe um, that I do want to watch. The new uh, Lupin, the Lupin Three, the first um, from Japan from last year, I think, is uh, now on video, and I I do want to get a chance to watch that. And then coming, I think, in just a couple weeks, the sort of the NASA cinematic universe expansion called Jiang Ziya or Legend of the Deification is uh, getting released over here in the states on video so i'll be looking forward to that one as well um so yeah kevin what have you been watching so um in december because i have a very personal thing which is i have a yearly quota like it's a it's a goal that i have to watch a certain number of films every year um, so in December, I was having this mad dash to reach my quota, which originally it was 400 films. I was trying to watch 400 films for the first time. Um, and then I couldn't make it. So I made it. I lowered my target to 366. And I had made this mad dash in December to get to 366. It was 365. And then my friend said, hey, it was a leap year. Yeah, so you made 366. So, okay, so God, 366. So I met, watched 366 films. And then I finally sort of just, you know, how, how you you work really hard and you do like 10 hours of overtime or something. And then you just go home and you completely just like collapse. So I kind of I kind of wanted to just stop watching films, but then I didn't because then award season is coming up. So I'm getting these. Uh, I'm a member of Film Independent, which is this independent film organization out in uh out in la and they host the independent spirit award and and you can be a member just by paying the membership fee and you get a lot of screeners usually these for your consideration screeners are done in la they're like physical screenings for members in la but because we're now in the new normal they put up all these fyc screeners online so i've been getting all these links so i've been watching as many films as I could. So I watched um, an indie film called Carry You With Me, which I've been looking forward to. Uh, Killing of Two Lovers, another indie film. This uh, European documentary called Gunda or Ganda. It's a, it has, it's like Charlotte's Web, but in black and white and real animals and also no dialogue. Um, and of course, you know, Truffle Hunters, which is a really interesting documentary about truffle hunters in Italy. Um, 
so things like that. And then I kind of caught up caught up on TV shows. So I'm about to finish Mandalorian season two. I'm I'm doing WandaVision once a week now on Disney Plus. Uh, what else? I finished the Crown season two finally. I'm sorry. I know I'm like two years behind, which I am. And then I also finished um, uh, this TV show on HBO called We Are Who We Are, which is directed by this Italian director, Luca Garandino. I think that's his name. He directed um, Call Me By Your Name. So it's a director that I love a lot. So him making an HBO show, it's, it's amazing. So I finished that. Finally, it took me about a couple of months there. Um, yeah, and then when I had time, I watched some, you know, quote-unquote normal films. So I watched um, The Little Things, which is on HBO Max just a couple of days ago. And I watched um, this big Korean action film called Deliver Us from Evil, which wasn't very good. But it has Hwan Jun Min, who is like one of the top actors in Korea, and Lee Jong-jae, who is also a, a top actor. Um, it's this big action film that's mostly set in Thailand. So they're kind of facing off in Thailand. Unfortunately, it wasn't that good um so yeah so it's kind of mixing movies and and tv and uh of course i'm trying to finish steve mcqueen's small acts on amazon um i watched three of the five uh films or episodes already and it's it's great amazing especially mangrove and lover's rock so if you guys haven't watched it you guys should definitely catch it i just mentioned uh, i watched find your voice the andy lau film that is probably the worst movie i will see this year (laughs) I I don't know how I, I'm not sure if anything can top that in terms of really badness, quote unquote badness. Um, and I apologize because I just actually just before we recorded a day or two ago, I just finished doing the new Andy Lau film uh, Endgame, which is coming out on Chinese New Year. And he's a producer on that, just like he's a producer on Find Your Voice. So I'm hoping that he doesn't listen to East Screen, West Screen, Andy. <laughs> I, I don't think you do. Too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sorry, Andy, but. You know, you're terrible. Uh, yeah, so I've been catching up both. But I do want to recommend this film that it hasn't come out. But I, it's um, set to come out in the summer. But I watched it for the Independent Spirit Award uh, consideration. Uh, it's a film called Nine Days. It's a directorial debut of um, a Brazilian-born Japanese director named Essen Oda. Um, he's a commercial director. So he's made a bunch of commercials. He won awards making commercials. And this is his directorial debut. Um, it, it, I'm not saying it's inspired, but it, it's very reminiscent of um, Hirokazu Koreeda's um, Afterlife. Whereas that film is about people who die and get to be in the space for seven days to sort of relive their memories from life. Nine Days is about this fantasy realm where people... So if there's a man who lives in a cabin and he sort of decides what souls get to move on to life on Earth. So he interviews these four or five people um, and he gives them these rhetorical questions and he asks them how they would live these scenarios out. And the best person or the, the one there's one candidate left and that soul gets to move on to life on Earth. It's a very simple film. It's pretty much mostly shot, I think, in this one sort of uh, I think it's on in the, 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 the what you might call it, the salt lakes or the whatever, the salt flats in Utah, I think, and the set that, that was built of the of the cabin. But otherwise, it's a very life, I think it's a very life-affirming film. It's very well-written and it's well-directed and the performances are great and I think it raises a lot of interesting questions about, it makes you kind of realize that how lucky we are to be on this earth and 
I think it's a really great film. It is nominated for a couple of Independent Spirit Awards, and the film has been delayed a couple of times because of the pandemic. So now it's set for release in the summer. So I think that's the best film I've watched so far this year. One month into the year, that's the best film I've seen so far this year. All right, very good. And I mean, I guess furthering along that topic on stuff that's coming for 2021, uh, two questions pop into my mind. The first being, all right, we're basically about two weeks out from uh, Chinese New Year. So is this going to be a film, uh, a year with no Chinese New Year films in Hong Kong cinemas? Well, right now they're saying that the rumor or quote-unquote anonymous sources say that the government is not planning to loosen um, these social social distancing measures before the Chinese New Year, which is coming up, I think as, as we're recording, is coming up in about 12 days. Um, the word is that they're not going to loosen it. So cinemas might not be open for Chinese New Year. We don't know that yet. And if there was going to be, so far only one film has sort of staked a claim in Chinese New Year, and that's The Way We Keep Dancing, which is a sequel to The Way We Dance. But it didn't get an official release date because they didn't know if um, cinemas are going to be open by Chinese New Year. So even if cinemas open for the first day of Chinese New Year, which I don't think it will, there's still like this block of films that has to be released. So, for example, um, uh, Shockwave 2, uh, a couple of Christmas films. You got your uh, Hollywood films that, that uh, Wonder Woman 1984 still hasn't come out here. So. It would be funny because Shockwave 2 and Wonder Woman, which was supposed to be, they were supposed to be Christmas films, will probably end up being the New Year films, quote unquote New Year films. Um, so yeah, it's kind of weird. China will get their big New to New Year releases. They will get their Andy Lau, they'll get Endgame, they'll get uh, Chinatown Detective Free, they will get a couple of local comedies as well. So they will get their usual Chinese New Year blockbusters, even though I hear there's a also a huge backlog of expensive films that are kind of waiting in line that that's going to have to be cleared bit by bit. And people are kind of, I've heard, so I've heard the industry, some productions are kind of weary about going to production, knowing that there's so much backlog going on, waiting for films, waiting for release. Um, so yeah, I don't know if we're going to see uh, any quote unquote real Chinese New Year films this year. Interesting. And and I mean, Detective Chinatown 3 was the Lunar New Year film from last year, right? That's right. That's right. So they were so confident that once they knew by, by I think, April or May that this film is not going to come out get or make it out for the summer, they just like, well, we'll just wait to... Because that's how confident they are. They're like, well, we'll release it next year. Because that, that film actually racked up really huge pre-sales back last Chinese New Year. So they knew that people are going to wait for this film. People are looking forward to this film. In fact, once they opened pre-sales for this year's Chinese New Year, um, the pre-sale was just as strong. Otherwise, all the other films from last year's um, uh, New Year period, uh, we talk about Leap, which is what we're going to talk about later, The Rescue. Um, what else was there? Uh, was Zhang Jia one of them? I don't remember. Zhang Jia might not have been one of them. But anyway, all those films have... Oh, um, Lost in Russia, of course, the other one. Um, all those films have been already been released one way or another. The Rescue flopped at the cinemas. Um, Leap did fairly well. Um, what else? Lost in Russia, of course, had this really controversial streamer deal. Um, even though, actually, now looking back, now that we've seen the HBO Max thing, actually, the Lost in Russia thing is not that big of a deal anymore because now we got HBO Max releasing a whole year of films 
on streamers day and date with cinemas and that's like a huge sort of uh, disruptor right in the industry but that's now looking back lost in russia isn't that much of a deal anymore but yeah all those films from last year except for detective chinatown have been released so they're wanda the backer of detective chinatown they're really confident in it and i think it, it will be the champion of this year's uh, chinese new year time slot all right and so i guess to finalize all of this we need to talk a little bit about the king of hong kong cinema that is the tanned one, uh, Mr. Lewis Koo. Are we going to get uh, his big sci-fi epic, Warriors of the Future, this year? I mean, I think it was originally slated for last year release, and it's been pushed a couple of times. But, I mean, there is a trailer that looks pretty fully realized um, from what's been released. Uh, so are we going to be seeing that this year? Well, th there's some stuff that we could talk about off the mic, like off the record. Mm-hmm. On the record, from what I'm hearing, is that that the, the release, a release, is planned this year. But mm -hmm. um, so me and my industry friends have been sort of chatting about films that are supposed to come out or films that have been sort of long gestating, and uh, there are like the ultimate free urban legends of Hong Kong cinema, <laughs> like films that are supposed to come out a long time ago but still haven't made it. So. One of them is Theory of Ambitions, which is, um, I think, Tony Leung and Aaron Kwok. It's directed by Philip Yong, the director of um, Port of Call. That film has been waiting in limbo for I don't know how long now, like like a year or two years now. And then you have um, Sons of Leon Light. I think that's what it's called. Sons yeah. of Leon Light. The Juno Mac film. Um, that's, I mean, we can talk about because it it's on Apple Daily. So we can talk about what's been reported on Apple Daily is that there were supposed to be reshoots. But Judo Mac apparently got in such uh, was so disliked by certain members of the cast that that they weren't willing to come back for reshoots, and the film has sort of been limbo since then. That's that is on Apple Day. I can talk about this. Otherwise, I, I can't talk about stuff I've heard, you know, down low, right? Yeah. But but I can talk about what's been on Apple Daily. So Apple Daily is that Richard Richie Ran and Takeshi Kaneshiro, and I don't know, I forgot who else. I totally learned Kafai. They're so mad at Juno Mac. They were so displeased with the way Juno Mac directed that they refused to come back to reshoots. So that film has and and the film's budget has doubled. And apparently his backers, including Juno Mac's father, have refused to put in any more money in the film. So we don't know when we're gonna see that. And the third urban legend is Warriors of Future. Um, and I will tell you what the, the gossip off the mic, but. We don't know when that film is coming out, but what I've heard is that they want a summer release. Hmm. Yep. All right, well, we can just keep our fingers crossed for Lewis Koo in the future. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for our news and talk this week. So when we come back, we'll be talking about Peter Chan and his new film, Leap. East Green, West Green. And welcome back. So for our film review this week, we're looking to Peter Chan's latest with Gong Li and Huang Bao. And that is sort of the docudrama, Leap. So Kevin, can you tell us more about what this film is about? Okay, I'm going to read the official um, synopsis from Reproduction, which is Peter Chan's production company. Uh, so here we go. With glorious days from five consecutive championships in the 1980s, the women's national volleyball team of China had transcended the conventional definition of sports in the hearts of Chinese people. When the Chinese team was pitted against the U.S. team led by Lan Ping at the 2008 Beijing volleyball game, 
everyone knew that it was a match that China could not lose and certainly could not afford to lose. I'm doing pretty good at this. Defeated, the Chinese the Chinese team plunged into the deepest abyss in three decades. Man, they should have asked me to translate this. Okay. As Lan Ping returned to her country to coach the team, many mused aloud as to whether China's women's national volleyball team would be able to retrieve lost grounds. The film recounts the ups and downs, the sweat and sacrifice of the team over the past four decades, while the team's persistence and teamwork became a national inspiration and collective memory in the 1980s. Whether the team spirit can be passed down to the new generation as China goes through rapid changes. Okay, that was a grammatical mistake. Because how do you just stop start whether the team spirit can be passed down to the new generation as China goes through rapid changes? But when you use weather, you have to have a have a have a comparative statement, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that was a weird you. ending. <laughs> they should have hired me. Anyway, that's what that's what the film is about. Paul, I'm gonna let let you go through because I have a lot to say about this film, but I'm gonna let you go for it first. Okay, so I mean, uh, I'm not a sports guy. I'm not a sports movie guy. Um, I've seen a couple, you know, sports movies over the years, and for me, a lot of them end up kind of playing out the same. You know, it's 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 sort of the 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 bad news bears scenario or the mighty ducks scenario, um, which is getting a sequel on uh, Disney Plus for those who haven't seen the trailer um the uh you know it's the it's the underdog team that has to fight 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 and overcome you know their their personal problems and then uh, find victory in the end right and i mean is that this film uh, kind of sort of except of course the focus here is you have a, a a key figure from the the history of various uh, various competitions who's kind of the central keystone of the story here and so i think that kind of makes it interesting i'll get get a little bit more into uh the discussion on that so this is a long film first of all i think it clocks in at like two hours and and 14 minutes at least on the international release here and so what you have is you have a film that is being told for about an hour (laughs) following uh, a, you know a couple of actors and then times change and uh, then it jumps to some other actors for the next hour and in between that there's a lot of volleyballing going on there's uh, various historical matches going on um, that the first hour is very much dedicated to sort of old school training and the old grumpy angry trainer kind of story i mean we've we've you again you will have seen this story if you've watched sports films before um if you've seen uh for example something like say sam hung's painted faces right the old extreme teacher um who actually deep down loves everybody but he doesn't want to show it kind of thing because he wants them all to be their best and he's going to push them to be their best and he's going to make them cry you know that kind of thing is here um, for the first hour. And and we do get introduced to the character of um, uh, Lang Ping, who's sort of the central focus here. She starts out um, being played by a different actress as she's a, again, I'm not a sports guy. I don't really understand the positions she's playing. I guess she's a spiker for the team. And um, 
you know, she, she's, she's training and she's developing a relationship with this, um, sort of coaching assistant, um, who's the only other male really that's in focus, um, during this period, aside from the coach. And, uh, I think the coach's whose name, by the way, whose name, by the way, you never find out for reasons I will reveal later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the coach was, um, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Wu Gang, right? Was, yeah, was but you coach. don't. Also, his name is also not in the film. <laughs> yeah. But the the actor is Wu Gong, and I think he was he was really really great in the role. Um, even though, again, he's kind of still still tapping into this very traditional sort of patriarchal uh, break them down coaching mentality, um, which I think serves as a nice juxtaposition when Lan Ping uh, sort of emerges into the Gong Li character, um, who later becomes this coach. Now. For those of you out there who don't, like me, don't really follow sports, you probably still may have heard of Lan Ping. I know that I had heard of her because it was famous in 2008 Beijing Olympics because she had immigrated to the United States. She had gone there to study, and she had been asked to coach the U.S. women's volleyball team in the 2008 Olympics. So here you have this um, volleyball star, this celebrity from this period in the eighties in China, uh, who's left China, gone to the United States. She has, uh, taken up coaching duties for the team to return to China. That is already a very, very interesting story right there, because you have this dynamic about returning to the country, but you are against the country. They get into it a little bit, but really not enough for my taste. I think there was a lot more meat just on that alone. Um, and the assistant coach um, that Kevin says, you you know, you don't learn their name, is played in this later period by Huang Bo. And so you have Huang Bo and Gong Li, these two really um, heavy hitters for Chinese cinema, um, getting some screen time together, but really not enough. I really wanted so much more uh, of them uh, together and, and their relationship. And I mean, maybe what we're getting is based on true history, um, you know, documented history, but maybe what we're getting is just, you know, some dramatic moments that have been, been scripted out. It's hard to say, um, but I really like them on screen together. I wanted to see more of that. Um, and in between it all, I mean, you get a lot of really good volleyballing. I mean, doing a sports movie, um, is something that is, is hard for me to fathom, especially when you're doing a sports movie that's, that's based on actual sports events that have, ha that have already happened that you can kind of go back and you can see, you know, well, this was the game that they're, they're recreating here. Um, and the more amazing thing I think for this film, especially in this latter half is that, um, after Lan Ping leaves the U S team, um, and then comes back to coach for China again, to try and rebuild their team. Um, she, you know, has the challenge of taking a team that's now been losing for a long, long time and, and rebuilding it. And then she gets this new team and the girls who are on that team are the actual team, as I understand it. So these are not actresses, but they're playing themselves and they're doing a really, really good job. Uh, I think. Um, so you have that kind of going on in this film as well. And again, this is all in the sort of second hour and there's a little bit of flashback in, in that second hour, but a lot of it is still um, focusing on the games that come as this team rebuilds itself post-2008. And it, they make a couple interesting choices 
in the games that they choose to focus on. So they make, of course, a lot of hay about the 2008 game between the U.S. team and the China team, where Gongli is basically facing off against her friend, played by Huangbo. And, I mean, I kind of went back and dug through the history. That was an early game in the series, but the way they kind of show it, it's like <laughs> the penultimate game of of the volleyball series, which it wasn't. Um, so it's like, but it was still, I mean, you can understand why that was a, a very, very important game because, again, of her return to China. Uh, and then a bit later, too, uh, looking at the history, some of the games that they were focusing on, um, how they fit into the overall series, you you get the impression that they were maybe a little bit more important than than they were. But again, you're dealing with events that actually happened and points and scores that, that actually happened. And I didn't want to get too deep into the weeds of any of that. But I was very, very impressed overall, again, um, with the two leads, with the girls playing themselves for the most part and kind of, you know... Uh, having to be actresses as well as as athletes. I think they did a very good job. And I was entertained, but I was also asking myself, um, what did I just watch? I mean, I, I, I really felt there was a lot more meat there to be delved into, especially with the Lan Ping character. And um, I'm not sure I got enough of that. So I would say if you're a sports lover, it's definitely a movie you want to see. If you're somebody who's not that into sports, you may feel it's kind of overly long, but if you're somebody who likes the leads, watch it for them. And I think the recreations were really, really well done. So Kevin, take us through your thoughts. So this is this is uh, China's representative at the Academy Awards, and I think it's it's not a bad choice. I mean, Peter Chan, he's a, he's a veteran director. He knows how to direct a film. He knows how to make a film look good. Um, so on a technical level, this movie is 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 uh, it's superb, okay. But so everyone who knows who has worked with Peter Chan, you know that Peter Chan is a very uncompromising filmmaker. It's a very demanding filmmaker. That's not used to word uncompromising because this film is a product of compromise. Um, if you sort of look closely. No one in the first half of the film, which covers the 1970s when it was kind of the shining days of the Chinese girls' volley- women's volleyball team, that no one, no character except for Lan Ping has any name. You know why? Because this film had to go through censorship, not just through the government censorship body, but also through the sports authority because that's how things work in China. You you deal with any sort of real organization. You also have to send the film to them to a, for approval. So if you talk about the cops, you have to talk. Send it to the police ministry of police. Um, you want to do um, uh, education. So better days also sent through the ministry of education. You want to do sports. You have to send this film through the sports authority, which is not. I know. I know. I know. Sports authority is store in America, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's a general term. Um, so apparently the film was sent to the. Ministry of Sports or whatever you call that in China. Um, by the way, Quan Bo's character is a real person named Chen Zhonghe, who was the coach for the Chinese team during the 2008 Olympics. But the problem is when the film was sent to the Ministry of Sports for approval or Sports Authority <laughs> for approval, Chen Zhonghe did not like the way he was portrayed and 
apparently co- wrote a complaint to the authorities and demanded that he be his name be removed from the film. So that is why Huambo managed to make through, you know, managed to live through a 136 minute film without a single name. And also, they only also got the right for the um, for the Olympic gold team from the 2016 Rio Olympics. So only those players have names, but not the team that Lam Ping actually played with. None of the girls have names, if you notice. And it feels like the entire film has been redubbed. At least that whole section has been redubbed because they had to remove all mentions of anyone who is not named Lan Ping. <laughs> so it's really weird because Leap is such a product of compromise by a director who is known for being demanding and uncompromising, at least to people that he pays. And But he's also a very shrewd businessman, so he can't just let the film go unreleased. So just the, the the road to getting this film released if you look at chinese name the film the chinese name film original chinese name was actually chinese woman's volleyball um and then they had to change the name because apparently they could not even get the right to that team name so they had to change it to another name but then under that new official name they also have to add in this the word original name chinese female volleyball team which is extremely weird, but that's what they've done. Uh, and it was apparently a very, it was pretty much down to the wire to get that film done and re-edited and, you know, and all that stuff. So it's a, it's a film of compromise. And it is such a compromised product that I could, it, it just really distracted me the whole way. I was like, what are these people's names? Why doesn't Huambo have a name? Why doesn't, uh, why don't these um, team sponsors? And at one point, Lam Ping, now played by Gong Li goes and sees these sponsors and apparently none of the sponsors also they also don't have names and it's, it's this is really weird censorship thing that happens in china you know the use of people's names and you can't even make up fake names for people in official positions or something i don't understand how that works but again it's just this that this film is such a compromised product that i can't watch it without bias or just take it because because the comp the compromises are everywhere you know, you have most most characters who who don't give permissions. They can't. You can't have their names in there. So, it's just, it's almost like um, watching. I don't know what's the comparison. It's like watching this crime show where all the identities of the real people have been made confidential, been redacted. It's like uh, it's like reading a a released um, CIA report from the 1970s or something <laughs> where they redacted all the confidential information, and then you get this incomplete thing. Um, by the way, Lam Ping. Um, the 1970s version of Lamping, the young Lamping, is actually played by Lamping's daughter. Um, so this is her first film, and now she plays her mom, and and she does a pretty good job um, in, in the film. Uh, of course, Gong Li is great, Huangbo is great. It's just that you don't know what his name is. It's weird. Um, so just I can't really watch this film without thinking about all these compromises, and I can't judge this film without thinking these compromises. And of course, the compromises are not. Peter Chan's fault. If I believe that if Peter Chan got to make the film or release the film that he had made originally, I'm sure I would have rated it much better, and I think the film would have been uh, would have benefited from that. But unfortunately, Peter Chan is working in this system, and he is forced to compromise to the system. And again, it's, it just sort of confuses me how. Peter Chan prefers working in China because he came back from Hollywood and he complains that Hollywood. You know, it's a, it's a system where filmmakers get suffocated and then he makes this. 
So it's very weird for him because I, I remember he he came to my school film school and complained about the Hollywood system being this one where filmmakers are also suffocated. It's just that you know China. So for him, China is not that much different because he got suffocated in Hollywood. So so it's okay for him to get suffocated in China. That's that's kind of what he implied. Also, and this is not really. I don't want to go into spoiler territory, but it's not really a spoiler. So anyway, towards the end. Uh, Lan Ping makes this point. She tells her team that, oh, I don't want you guys to think about uh, winning for the nation. It's too much because back when I was young, I had the entire nation on my back. We carried the entire nation's expectations on our back, and it was terrible for us. So I don't want you guys to carry that. I just want you guys to have fun playing volleyball. And then what happens at the end of the film? They win gold at the 2016 Olympics, and it has this big thing where the Chinese flag is raised and the big national anthem is 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 played and it's this big um, victory for the Chinese people. So it's just weird how Peter Chan and his writer Zhang Ji, who also wrote um, Dearest, his previous film, they make this point about, oh, Lam Ping just wants these players to enjoy themselves, to enjoy playing the game and not worry about national pride. And then the entire film is hinged on national pride at the very end. And most of the film is about national pride. So I feel like its own position is quite contradictory throughout the film. Of course, you can say that, oh, it's the authorities. Part, that part made him do that thing at the end. But then again, then how can I just judge the film as a Peter Chan film rather than uh, a film that the, the sports ministry wants us to see? Because that's pretty much what we got. It's a film that the sports ministry wants us to see, not Peter Chan necessarily. Um, and of course, you can say that oh, every film, especially Chinese film, goes through this period of compromises. But the compromises here just feel so out of place. Well, not out of place, but it just feels so obvious that that I can't judge it on its own merits. And again, its own position is really quite contradictory. It's a, it's in itself a product of a system that it, it's trying to tell its character to ignore. And yet it goes back to being the product of that system. And it's so obvious it's a product of that system. And then it's so obvious that it's been filtered through that system. So for me, it's it's kind of hard to ignore that co- its own contradictions and and its own compromises. So I have very complicated feelings about Leap. Um, is it a, a, a is it a proper choice to represent China and the at the Oscars? I don't think it's the best personally. I think one who's eight hundred, even though it also makes certain compromises, I think it's it's a much stronger film. I think its scope, its vision, and what it was able to get away with, it's much better than Leap. Um, but Leap is again a very respectable film. It, it, it does its job. I think um, it certainly makes the women's volleyball team look good, which you know they are pretty good apparently. <laughs> but um, for me, it, it, it just it's more of a study about the censorship system of China and how complicated this whole system is and how much compromises a film does have to go through before it ends up being um, being presented in front of audiences. I think it's a better better case study for that than an actual film. So let's do a little bit of a, a prediction here. If this film were to win the Oscar, um, not saying that it would, but if it were, how likely would it be then that uh, it would get, you know, some of these restrictions maybe removed or in China, do you, do you think that uh, 
you know, there, there would be a chance of a, a new director's cut or something like that? Or do you think it would, it, this is just how it's going to stand for all time? This is how it's going to stand for all time, unless unless they suddenly pay Chen Zhonghe a ton of money and then, okay, you can put my name in there. But apparently Chen Zhonghe was quite offended by the way he was portrayed in the film. <laughs> so, so, so unless... He's probably so, like, Huangbo, Huangbo, I'm better looking yeah. than Huangbo. <laughs> yeah, so so Peter Chen, we have to re-edit the film. Probably make Chen Zhonghe the, the hero of the film instead yeah. of Lan Peng to, to get his name back in there. And, and they're part of the payoff all of the entire 1970s China woman, China women's volleyball team to get. I, so I, I think this is what we're going to get for the rest of di- uh, of time, whatever. Um, and unfortunately, that's what it is. It, it is what it is. And is what you have to go through to make a film in China. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily LoveHKFilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. And we get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at Kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can find us over at Twitter at Kongcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at East S West S. As always, uh, please do follow along with Kevin in all that he does, even though he's here in lockdown. Uh, so, Kevin, where can they find out more about you? You can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. I supposedly have a website. <laughs> it's called Asia and Cinema. I mean, I'm not updating it much recently because I have a lot of work. So, but you can follow me, uh, Asia and Cinema. That's one word, Asia and Cinema on Twitter. Um, of course, remember to follow us on Facebook, East S West S. Uh, what else? Uh, try to talk about films that I have that might be coming out. Sure. Um, as I mentioned before, um, the film Endgame starring Andy Lau uh, will be coming out in China on February 12th. That's the first day of Chinese New Year. I just watched a trailer by CMC Pictures, and apparently they will try to release it overseas on February 25th. I don't know which territories. Does, uh, they cover Australia and U.S. Does Andy uh, snap his fingers and destroy half the universe? No, he does not. No. <laughs> no, he does not, unfortunately. Um, and he does not have the power to open American cinemas, unfortunately, as well. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully, you guys will get to see Endgame somehow. Um, I have a Chan Fat film called Salvation that's apparently now on the way to getting approved by the censors. Uh, Septet, a Hong Kong, Hong Kong story, that's the omnibus by Johnny Toe and other really great veteran directors is making its rounds um, in the festival circuit. I hope that you guys do get to see. I think it's playing Rotterdam. Um, in the next couple of weeks. So if you're in, in, in the Netherlands, you can watch it because I think it's an online online festival this year. Um, otherwise, yeah, I mean, I've got a bunch of films that I've subtitled there in the backlog. Like, I think I've done two Patrick Kong films that haven't been released yet or one. But uh, which is which I know Paul is devastated by. Oh, my God, we're, we're missing <laughs> Patrick Kong films. Um, but yeah, that that's about it. Yeah. So, I mean, we are in the new year and that there has been new news already about a, the new uh, Hong Kong International Film Festival. 
that uh, they're thinking about doing sort of a hybrid festival this year. Um, I guess at least some part of it's going to be virtual, going to be online. Um, do you have any any news or anything about that? I'm I'm kind of excited, uh, you know, even though I'm not usually a festival guy, but if I can get a chance to see some, you know, premieres uh, via streaming, that would be great. Well, yes, they, they are going to do part of it uh, online, but I think they will probably use a very sophisticated screening system that now tracks um, where people are watching from and whether they're using VPNs. Because I know at least one festival in America actually had that system in place, so they know when people are watching via VPN and they're very doing very doing working very hard to clamp down on those. So even I've kind of like given up on trying to watch festivals overseas with vpns come on um, guys it's yes. supposed to be an international film festival no. international the, the it's right there in the title very, they have very strict licensing um deals with the with the sales agents because these sales agents especially now they're quite dependent on on getting these screening fees from each country so so um, if you just have one country take the streaming right for about two weeks and they sell it over the world and they lose a lot of money. So I can understand that. Um, but yes, it is a bit outdated with the new normal with this new streaming um, uh, reliant model. But yeah, I, I know that they're doing a, a hybrid online and physical festival. And I have written a couple of blurbs for films already, but I can't tell you which films those are. But um, yeah, I think there will be I'm not sure, and I'm not sure which of those films will be online or will just be physical screenings only. But yes, the festival will go ahead this year, I think around mid-March. All right. We will keep you updated on any relevant news that comes out from that. Uh, please do also check out our friends over at the Podcast on Fire Network, who've been uh, really you know, doing some bang-up shows this past year uh, throughout the pandemic. And they do a lot of good work, and we're very fortunate to be a part of some of that. Um so uh, I guess for coming shows, uh, we're hopefully going to have more shows this year than we had last year. I think we had less than a dozen, unfortunately. And that's all on me. But um, there's some stuff coming up that I definitely want to talk about. I've got a you know short series that I'm in discussion with um, Kenneth from Podcast on Fire to try and integrate over here as well. Um, and there's, of course, you know stuff that's going to be coming, streaming or not, um, as I mentioned uh, the Zangzia film that I do want to talk about. It'll be here in a couple weeks. There's a new Lupin film. There's lots of stuff, and I'm sure there's lots of stuff that Kevin wants to talk about too. So hopefully we'll have much good content headed your way. So until then, this is the Screen Westward Podcast saying, please stay safe, get vaccinated, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe, everyone. See you next time.